0: Now I am tied to it. The 102nd Psalm, and I'm going to begin reading in a moment from the very first verse. Let me encourage you as soon as you find your place to look up so that I will know that you're with me. And if you would, keep your Bibles open as we move through the passage together. I'd like you to refer back to it. Let's pray together. Father, it's a treat when you allow us to come around your word and for us to be informed by you and encouraged by you. Please, Father, open up our minds this morning and renew them with your word. Let your word influence the way we live our lives. Bless this time, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before I read the passage to you, a couple of comments. Many of us know the Matthew passage, Matthew twenty eight twenty, where the Great Commission is given, and most of us focus on the fact that we've been called to be disciple makers, to go out and to baptize in the name of Jesus. Well, if you look at the very last phrase in the Great Commission, it says something that we often overlook. It says to us that Jesus is going to be with us until the close of the age. What that simply means is that while he is ascended, he's going to be with us and minister to us and work in our lives until he comes again. That's a beautiful promise. If you look around at our country, the estimate is that there are now about 40 million Americans who have anxiety disorder. I think that number may have gone up this past Tuesday. (laughs) But you know, folks, it doesn't make any difference which party you represent or you're in in favor of, what makes the difference is how you deal with the anxiety in your life, or whether you deal with it at all. As I look, you know, I'm having a terrible time with this. <laughs> Y'all excuse me while we take care of it. Ah, uh, look at this. Y'all don't know how long we've known each other. He's taken care of me for a long time. (laughs) You all just visit for a second. What we did is we planned this so you could see how anxiety doesn't affect either one of us. Oh, this is fun. Thank you very much for coming to my rescue. It is estimated that about 40 million Americans have anxiety disorder. If that statistic runs true with all of the other statistics I see, it means that something in excess of 20 million Christians have anxiety disorder. For whatever reason, in the last four or five decades, and I think there are a lot of reasons, we're not exempt from the things that the rest of society is experiencing. There's some evidence of that. I'm not going to ask you to hold your hand up, but the number of folks who go to a psychiatrist, a psychologist, your family doctor, and most family doctors will tell you that they deal with lots of anxiety situations. Your pastor, our studies are often filled with folks who come to us and want to talk about the issues of life and how they're affecting them. Look in your drugstore. Be aware of how many prescription drugs there are to deal with anxiety. It's a huge epidemic in our society. And on a personal note, I want you to know that back in 1988, when I was experiencing some anxiety, more than I did just now, I went to a friend of mine who at the time was, or had been teaching counseling in a seminary, a Presbyterian Church in America pastor. His name was Buck Hatch. Some of you may have met Buck. He's with the Lord today. And I sat with him and I said, you know, I'm having anxiety and my family doctor's giving me some medicine and it's sitting on top of my dresser and I don't want to take it. What do I do? I'm supposed to be the one who knows how to fix these things. You know what he did? He opened up the 102nd Psalm. He walked me through the psalm, and then in his very humble and very gracious way, he said, Bill, you now have the tools to deal with the anxiety next time it occurs. That's what I want to do this morning. I want to spend a few minutes with you, and I want to give you some tools that if you will be self-disciplined, God will absolutely use in your life to help you cope With anxiety. Do you believe that Jesus is with you today? You believe he's keeping his promise? You know how you know that? If his Holy Spirit has come on you and helped you realize you're a sinner, if you have heard the call of God, that irresistible call to be one of his children. If you have called out to him and said, Lord, forgive me, Jesus, be my savior. Jesus is with you. You don't do any of that under your own power. That's the grace of God at work in your life. And then as you live your life day by day, we are promised that the Holy Spirit will dwell in us. Who is the Holy Spirit? He proceedeth from the Father and from the Son. He is Jesus with us until Jesus returns. So every time you feel the nudging of the Holy Spirit, every time you feel the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, every time a door opens or a door closes because God wants it open or wants it closed, Jesus has been at work in your life. And he has promised to be there in every circumstance. The reason I chose the psalm is because my brother Buck introduced me to it in a very special way. And I want to share with you, if you look at the first couple of verses. Now this is a man just like us, under the power of the Holy Spirit, who obviously knows God. And I want you to listen to the way he opens himself up to God and really exposes himself. First and second verses, he calls out to God, just like you and I do. He's going into a time of prayer. And he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. But do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. And then as we go through the balance of the next few verses, you hear him talk about how he feels. He says, In the day when I call, answer me quickly, for my days have been consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. Because I am of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican in the wilderness. And have become like an owl in the waste places. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of your indignation and your wrath... For you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a lengthened shadow. And then suddenly things change as the psalmist speaks. But you, O Lord, abide forever and your name to all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion for it is time to be gracious to her for the appointed time. Has come. May God add His grace to the reading of His word and might it truly linger in our hearts and our minds. If you go back and look at those first two verses where the psalmist calls out and says, Hey Lord, now this is a Barton paraphrase, quit listening to everybody else. I want you just to listen to me. My needs are so great right now, so turn your face toward me. Let your ear be inclined to me and do it quickly. Can you hear what's going on in the psalmist? You ever been there? Where you say, hey, Lord, I need help right this minute, right now. And then starting in the third verse, he goes through a sequence of explanations of how he feels. And I want you to ask yourself, as I take us through these bracketed explanations, I want you to ask yourself, have I ever been there? Have I ever experienced this? First one, have you ever been paralyzed because of anxiety? The way he says it is, For my days have been consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass. And has withered away. Indeed I forget to eat my bread. What he's saying is, is. I get up in the morning and. It's like I'm in a room filled with smoke. The smoke's billowing out the windows and out of the door. And I try to see and I have no direction. I grope trying to find my way around. I get confused mentally. Folks, that's no way to wake up and start a new day. But lots of times that happens to us. He says, my bones have been scorched like a hearth. I'm dried up. I not only don't have energy, I have no motivation. I feel like I would just soon die. I'm so dried up. I have been smitten like grass. My heart. Linda and I spent some time, a couple of weeks, in the mountains of Ecuador with many of our missionaries, about 350 of them a few years back. And we woke up the first morning and we heard a chopping sound. And it was pretty rhythmic. Got up, went to this little window and looked out in front of the house that we were staying in. One of the caretakers of this campsite had a machete. And he was bending over 90 degrees, which is enough to ruin your back, And he spent at least eight to ten hours that day lifting grass up that had been growing for about six months in a very tropical area and cutting it off with that machete right at the top of the ground. He was mowing the grass. I asked about that, and they said, well, they couldn't get parts for a lawnmower up there. So he mowed the grass twice a year with a machete. Well, we went to breakfast that morning, went about our duties all day long, and when we came back to the house late that afternoon, I saw the grass laying where he'd been working. And that beautiful green, luscious grass had turned brown, and it was laying lifeless on the ground. The psalmist says, that's how my heart feels, like my heart heart has just been severed and is dying. And then he says something that I can't really identify very much with. He says, indeed, I forget to eat my bread. Do I need to go any further with that one? You know, some folks stop eating when they're filled with anxiety. Others of us, I see hands going up and I didn't even ask for them. And others of us eat more and more, trying to eat the anxiety away, and that doesn't work at all for us. But either is a sign that something's happening inside of us. If you look down, you'll see the next bracket, 5, 6, and 7, where he talks about how he feels. And, you know, feelings oftentimes become reality. He says... Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. Ever groan? If you listen, you can hear people groaning. They do it sometimes by complaining all of the time about how hard life is. And that's their perspective. That's how they see life. Sometimes you'll actually hear the groan. Is they labor, like when I'm having a problem with my computer. My wife might say, I groan. But when you're facing something that's creating real anxiety, sometimes there's the emission of this actual physical sound. And then he paints a picture and he says, I resemble a pelican in the wilderness. Where do pelicans live? They don't live in the wilderness. They live along the coastline, often on a little barrier island or a little island in the mouth of a river, and we have that all along our coastline. And you can see them majestically flying over the coast, and you can see them feeding on fish in the water. And he says, No, 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 that's not how I feel. I feel like I'm in the wilderness. Removed from everything that is dear to me in strange surroundings. I feel like an owl in the wastelands. Where do owls live? They live in fields, they live in forests, they live in barns. They don't live in the wastelands. Isn't that a descriptive way of saying how he feels cut off because of his anxiety? He says, I lie awake. I know lots of folks who have a hard time going to sleep because they can't turn their minds off. I woke up sometime early this morning and thought through a situation. And I said, whoops, you're going to be preaching on this. Don't do that. And I gave it to the Lord and went back to sleep. It happens. It happens to so many of us. And he ends that, this is how I feel section by saying, I have become like a lonely bird on a housetop. Ever seen a bird sitting on the eve of a house, silhouetted against the sky? Psalmist says, a lonely bird the bird is all by himself watching all the activity below and not involved, not engaged, not a part. That's how people who have real anxiety feel. They have some of those symptoms. The third bracket is verses 8 through 11. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who deride me have used my name as a curse. I want you to know this can be a reality or this can be perceived. But as I said a minute ago, perception becomes reality. So if you feel like people are talking about you, it has the same effect as if they are. I had someone tell me one time he went to a professional football game, and I hope he was kidding, and he said, You know, there were 70,000 people in the stands. And he said, I looked down on the field and those fellows on the field got in a circle and they were talking about me. That kind of paranoia exists, not quite to that extreme. But it does, you begin to think when you're filled with anxiety, it's as though you become super sensitive and you think people are talking about you when most of the time they're not. But if they do talk about you, the little adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. That's not true. Haven't you found that's not true? You know what words do? When someone does say something derogatory about you and you know about it, it hurts. It hurts just like physical pain. And it has a tendency to linger longer than physical pain. And something can happen in the future like seeing the person and you recall it almost verbatim. And now you have that same anxiety again. I hope that this man didn't have all of these all of the time. He goes on to say, For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. When you have a lot of anxiety, you have emotion. Interestingly enough, men and women both have been given tear ducts by God. Men have a tendency to cry privately or to try to stop from crying. But when the anxiety is great enough, we cry. Because your indignation and your wrath, talking about God, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. I want you to remember something. If you know Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven through the shed blood. We sang that today. They're forgiven. That's a done deal. You're on your way to heaven. You're going to spend eternity with Jesus. That's the end of that discussion. So often we forget that. If you continue to sin while you're still on your way to heaven you displease God. And what God wants us to do is to correct that behavior. So oftentimes we experience the consequence of that sin, to get our attention and to bring us back into a repentant behavior pattern. Some of the anxiety that we experience is because God allows those consequences, not the eternal consequences but the daily consequences to come to bear on us and we start to feel some anxiety and what he's doing is trying to get our attention and saying don't do what you're doing you're on the wrong path he does that because he's a loving father because he wants us not to have anxiety and he wants us to spend our days in relative peace and happiness realizing we're still this side of heaven Do you understand? So we're forgiven through the blood of Christ, but we still have anxiety, and God still reacts against our sin because he's a righteous God and because he loves us. Let me just slip this in. If you have anxiety and you don't know Jesus as your Savior you're going to have to deal with the anxiety some other way because what the psalmist is about to tell us is based on the person having a personal relationship with God and we have that through Jesus if you're sitting there listening this morning and you know about him but don't know him, say something to me say something to one of the elders of the church and let us just love on you and talk with you a little bit and see if God will help us help you with that. If you do know Jesus, listen carefully, because the psalmist is about to tell us the prescription for dealing with anxiety when you're a believer. He says to us over in the 12th verse, But you, O Lord, abide forever. And your name to all generations. Doesn't sound very significant, does it? Does that sound like a prescription for dealing with anxiety? I want you to realize what just happened. We've just gone through 11 verses, having this psalmist call out and saying, I have all these symptoms of anxiety, and looking at himself. And suddenly he stops looking at himself. And in the 12th verse, he looks at God. That's the first step in dealing with anxiety. You stop looking at yourself. You stop being consumed by the things that are creating anxiety. And this is personal discipline, and you say what you really know. Lord, my whole life is not just this one anxiety-producing thing. There's much more to the life that you've given me. And I need to look at the fullness of it and the breadth of it And know that you are blessing me. Back in October, I was using Sarah Young's Jesus Calling. Some of you have that. It was recommended to me, and I have about five or six devotionals that are 50 to 200 years old. And publication date. And I keep recycling those. And every now and then I'll, I'll start something contemporary. Well, on October the 17th, I was reading Sarah Young's devotional. And she simply said, if you have anxiety, quit looking at it so much. And if you're going to look at it, look at Jesus in that situation. Lo, I will be with you always to the close of the age. He's in that situation. He's using that situation. He's ministering through that situation. And what we do is we don't see him in it, and we just see the things that create fear or discouragement. And what her devotional reminded me of was, the prescription is to do what the psalmist did, to see God in it. So the psalmist says, you abide forever. Your name's in all generations. His name's in our generation. And then he says, you will, and the word will is an absolute, arise and have compassion On your people, Zion, for the time to be gracious is here. How do you deal with anxiety? You remember a passage that comes from Romans 8 that says, All things work together for good. I repeat that to myself frequently. All things, even those things that create anxiety. I remember the Proverb, Proverb 23, 7, which simply says, it's two phrases. The first phrase says, you are what you think. So if we look at an anxiety-producing situation and we remove God from that equation, and we look just at the potential hurt, and we stay focused on it, it creates anxiety. And that anxiety can get out of control for Christians. Or, we are what we think. We look at that situation, and we see it as it really is. God is in it. God has not deserted us. He has not thrown us away. We belong to him now, and we're going to belong to him forever through Jesus. So when you put that together, the formula is very simple. Keep your focus on Jesus. Discipline yourself to keep your focus on Jesus. Amen? Next time I see you, shall I ask, have you had any anxiety since I saw you last? And you'll say yes. And I'll say, but did you discipline yourself and get your focus back on Jesus? And I hope you and I will say, praise God, I did. Let's pray together. Father, we know that you love us. And we know, dear God, that you care about us. You've already demonstrated that. You've done something that we wouldn't do. You gave your only begotten son for those of us who were still sinners. What a magnificent love, Lord. And then you gave your Holy Spirit to us to walk with us and encourage us and And when we try to quench your spirit or resist your spirit, you don't throw us away. Because you love us, you stay right there with us. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's stand and sing. our.